you, Lord. We serve an awesome God. Amen. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. If you would, open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Hmm. Hallelujah, Lord. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, and we will begin reading in verse 11. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has both, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole body being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning, my God. We thank you for your love that abounds. We thank you for your grace that abounds. We thank you, Lord God, for what you are doing in our lives as individuals, Lord God. We thank you for what you are doing in this church, in this body of believers, my God. We thank you because of your spirit that is here now, my God, because of your presence that has moved in this place this morning, my God. We pray, Holy Spirit, that we would remain sensitive to you, my God, that we would remain open to you as you speak to us through your word, God, that you would confront us in your great love and show us, Lord God, what you desire for us, Father God, I pray that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but God, that we would be responsive doers of your word. Lord, be glorified today. We give you all praise and we give you all glory. In Jesus' good name, someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand because the ushers want to give you one. I want to make sure that you have one. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Keep it up so the ushers can see you. And that way they will get it to you and you will be prepared for your connect group. 
I don't have a video today. We, we played the four videos that we had. We could have played another one, but I just we, we, we didn't do that today. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that everyone who is part of Faith Doma Fellowship, that you get connected, that you become part of our Connect Life groups, that if you're not in a life group, that you find one, and the way that you'll be able to find one is you can, you can A, just find one of the pastors, or B, I like, this, I like this idea better, you can find Pastor Chad. Pastor Chad, raise your hand, please, so everyone or stand up. There you go. Raise the roof, do something, glory to God. So that Pastor Chad is the one that he is our connect group coordinator. And so if you get with him, he will help you to get connected and that way you will find the right place for you. And we talk about the right place for you. We usually do it by proximity of your home and also by the, um, the, the uh, your availability. And so we have a, we have um, four connect groups that meet on Tuesday nights in different places. We have um, two um, two connect groups that meet on Sundays, and then we also have one connect group that meets on Saturdays. So those are the three days of availability, and there's different places. But we want you to get connected in a body, and we'll talk about that in this whole message here and what God is doing. And actually, the title of the message this morning is All in the Family. All in the family, okay? And so God is building his family, and we need to be excited and encouraged about that. And so as part of a family, you got to hang out with one another. Hello. I'm just saying, right? You 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 can't you can't be real family if I mean you know you have that blood family that you know that that you're you're blood and you're together and when you get together it's like you never separated, right? You know that that that's family. But what I'm saying is God doesn't want Christians to be like that, right? God wants us to get together consistently, wants us to fellowship together, wants us to share, encourage, challenge, pray for, wants us to carry each other's burdens, and so we want to make sure that we do that. And one of the ways that we are able to do that is through our Connect Life groups. And so I seriously highly encourage you to talk to Pastor Chad if you're not part of a connect group and he will help you out. Amen? And so now everyone has an outline. So if you, if you, if you remember, last week we started to go over our memory verse, so we're going to do that together today. Um, does anybody have it memorized already? Raise your hand if you got it memorized. I got one back there. You want to come say it? Oh, glory to God. Come on, somebody. Come on. Are we good here? This one? I'm good. He's not. Test, test, test. There we go. We got you. All right. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Good job, man. Come on. <laughs> Glory to God. I need to get one of them things, man. Y'all out there going flag crazy. Just hook me in. Uh, oh, oh, what's that? What's that? We're not in the connect group. Oh, I got I got I got I got it. Oh. Oh, that's, that's Connect specific. Amen. So, so see, Connect takes on a, a frame of its own, glory to God. So, amen. So, that is awesome. Isn't it awesome to see a young person quoting scripture? I mean, that's, to me, there's nothing greater than that, to see a young man get up and, and, and not just quote scripture, but he got up in front of all y'all. Hello. <laughs> Grabbed a microphone. He waited, glory to God. He wasn't shaking or nothing. He was like, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the, right? I mean, that was awesome, glory to God. All right, so let's all say this together, okay? So here we go. So one, two, three. So I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, 
with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's our memory verse, right? That's what we want to do. We want to, we want to grow in that. Amen? And so looking at your outline, we're going to continue on in our series in the book of Ephesians. My greatest hope, I was having a conversation. I actually was privileged the other day. The other day um, Minister Lewis, he was in a training last week, and so his connect group is, is, um, is, is from our connect group, and so that's one of the other Tuesday night connect groups, and so what I did was, right now, since we're in the beginning stages, and I have someone who can run our connect group, and he didn't necessarily have someone over there yet, you know, that he was comfortable with, so I said, look, for right now, I'll go ahead and I'll go to your connect, and I'll lead your connect group, and so it was, uh, you know, bittersweet for me, bitter in the fact that I couldn't be at, at my connect, and they had some amazing food that night. When I got home, I was so upset. I'm like, glory to God. I mean, I'm, I mean, the pizza was good, right? Amen. I mean, but, but they had, listen, they had curry chicken. You know what I'm talking? I'm just saying, yeah, I know y'all want to come to my connect now. They're like, yo, sign me up for that connect. Uh-huh. And listen, I mean, they had some curry chicken. They had some amazing beans, glory to God. They had some brown rice. I mean, it was serious, right? So thank God for leftovers. Amen. But leftovers just aren't the same. Like that, anyway, I'm just saying. So I know y'all are hungry. We're going we gonna to move on from that point. But I had the privilege to go to, to, to go to the Vega household and run their connect group. And sitting in their connect group, I had an awesome time with the group there. And when we were sitting there, so many people were talking about in, in the group just the, the amazingness of God. We were talking about the prayer because remember, and I just want to say this so that way in case you don't get a text or an email, we are in our connect groups. We are going through the message the week before. So this week when you go to connect, you're not going to talk about this message. You would talk about last week's message, okay? And so in that, that we were talking about the prayer at the end of chapter one and, and, and the people that were in the connect group were sharing how they were amazed at some things, some things that they didn't necessarily realize or some things that really open up in their heart. And that is my prayer, which is what I wrote here for us as a church, is that we will have some great aha moments. Some moments that as we look at the scriptures, and I'm not just talking, I mean, I hope that you have some aha moments while I'm preaching. I hope that happens. But more importantly for me, and I said this to the connect group, and this is the reason why we decided to go a week behind on our, on our study of the scripture and discussion and connect, is because we want you to be able to dig deeper into the scriptures. We want you to have time to meditate on the message that was preached and, and, and not just listen to it before the day or just hear the message, you know, preached here, but that you have time to really digest. And my prayer and hope is that as you dig into the scriptures yourself, as you're meditating on the Lord, as you're rehearsing the words that have been communicated, that the Spirit of God would cause you to be, man, that is awesome. That we would have those moments as a church because there are some great truths that we're unpacking as we go through the book of Ephesians. And so a church, the reason why this is so important for me is because a church that is overwhelmed by Jesus positively, meaning that they're not overwhelmed like, oh my goodness, Jesus, but they're like, oh my goodness, Jesus, and God's grace will be a church that will strive to walk worthy of their calling in Christ, living in awe and dependence and in pursuit of the one who called them. When we are overwhelmed by the truths that we are looking at within the book of Ephesians, when we're overwhelmed by those realities of the grace of God and what Jesus has done, then what begins to happen to us is we want more of him. But we don't just want more of him, but we want to honor him. We want to serve him. We want to obey him. We go from um, I'm obeying God in a way that is laborious to being a way that is worshipful. We go from being like, oh my goodness, I have to do this or I can't do that, to saying, you know what, I don't care what I don't get to do as long as I have Jesus. 
And I don't care what I have to do as long as I know that it's glorifying Jesus. That becomes the motivation of our heart. And so what happens is I don't have to get up here and motivate or manipulate you, hello, into obedience. Why? Because you're overwhelmed by Jesus. Because you're overwhelmed by the grace of God. And that is the motivation of your heart. And so that is my prayer is that we will be overwhelmed. And so we're in chapter 2. And so I want us just to summarize what we already went through last week in chapters in chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. We learned that we are all, that we all were spiritually dead and the objects of God's wrath God, motivated by his love, extended mercy to us and allowed us to be delivered from his wrath by grace through faith. God has accomplished this without our help. Therefore, all the good that is done through us will be recognized as his works and not our own. And so this brings us into the rest of chapter 2. And so when he says this, when he uses this word therefore in verse 11, that word therefore is a connecting word. And what is happening is he is talking about, he's saying, therefore, since you heard all of these things, since you understand these truths, I want you to remember some more stuff. And it's funny because Paul actually starts off again almost on a negative tone and so repeat this after me for the first point remembering our past should only serve as a reminder of our present position and that is God's family I know I caught you off guard with that you thought you were done with the quote it's okay it's all good our present position is God's family, right? And so what happens, we need to remember, when we're remembering our past, see, here's, here's something that happens. When you think about people, and some of you are a little bit older than I am, just a little bit, right? And, and been in church a little longer than I was, and you came from different backgrounds traditionally. And in those backgrounds, they had something called a testimony service. Anybody ever been to a testimony service? Just raise your hand. Yes, you've been to a testimony service. I, w- I was at a couple of testimony services, and the testimony services I had, they were, they were tailored, amen, glory to God, and, 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 they, and they were, and when I say this, the reason why I said amen, glory to God, is because some testimony services spend a whole lot of time glorifying the devil and talking about your old life. They spend like 20 minutes on that, you know, your old life, 20 minutes on the devil this, the devil that, and then like two minutes on but God, right? And a testimony service should be the other way around, I'm just saying, right? And so the testimony service I went to, they definitely talked about, you know, what, where they were or who they were before, but then they began to talk about what? Who they are in Christ, They began to talk about what Jesus had done in their life, how God had changed and transformed their hearts. And so what we find here is that there is something that Paul does. Now, Paul is calling them to remember. And when we look at our past, when you talk to someone, you know, some people, they glorify their past more than they glorify their Savior. They they, they talk, I mean, they get excited. They talk about their past. They get excited. Hello? Hello? They don't get that. They start talking about how they used to go to the club, and they like start, to, you know, they start moving with it. You know, what I'm just saying, right? They get excited, like yo, I used to do this, and I, and then they, and they, 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 they like see that, and but they, they don't have that same excitement about Jesus, right? And so we need to have that excitement about Christ. So when we're remembering our past, we shouldn't be like awakening old desires. Hello. We shouldn't be awakening old, old thoughts and things of that nature. But when I talk to people, and this is just me, when I talk to people about my past, it's like, A, it's for shock value. Because most people that know me, when I tell them I was like, they're like, there's no way. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was that. They're like, no, 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 there's no way, man. You were like, you, you did that. I'm like, yep, I was that. I did all that. I was that way, 100%. 
So shock value so that way people realize, man, look at, and I'm, I'm like, and, and my point is, the reason why I say shock value is because I want you to, you see why you're saying that you could never see that is because God has done such an amazing job transforming me. Hello. It's not because I got some education. Hello. It's not because I learned how to walk right because, you know, I still walk funny sometimes. I'm just saying, right? It's not because, you know, I don't like to dress or so. It's just because of what God has done in my life and what he is still doing and continuing to do. And so when we remember Remember our past, right? What it should do is it should remind us of our present position, which is the reason that the Apostle Paul brings that here. And so one thing, when you look at this and you'll notice something, he says, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made, made in the flesh by hands. Now, what I want you to understand is this, is that one thing is common within every, if not most, families, and that there is usually some type of tension, some type of drama, and some type of dysfunction. I know we don't want to talk about that cousin. We want to act like they don't exist, right? The one that you looking at your caller ID, and I know we don't want to talk about that, but that uncle, right? I mean, I'm just saying. But the truth of the matter is, in most families, and, I, and I'll say most because, you know, your family may be the exception of the rule. You may be a functional family. Amen? You, you may have no dysfunction in your family, so I don't want to offend you if you're like, man, my family's tight. All right, glory to God. I'm just saying. Most families, right? The rest of us in here, okay? We, we come from this, and we, we see some dysfunction, and some dysfunction is more dysfunctional than others. Hello? Right? Some situations are, you know, I always, I always boast about my wife's family because my wife's family, my wife has an amazing heritage spiritually. I mean, you know, her, her uncles, you know, they've been part of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, they helped Billy Graham when he was young. Hello. They're helping him now that he's older. You know, they were part of things. You know, her, her uncle used to translate for Billy Graham when he used to go to Puerto Rico, you know, for crusades and things like that. I mean, they have a rich heritage. I mean, all of them, you know, are godly. And can I tell you something? There's still drama in her family. Hello. Right? There's still some tension. You know, here now it's not like my family, glory to God, right? See, my family, look, my grandmother was praying us into the kingdom. I'm just saying. Like, my grandmother was seeking Jesus. She was pursuing God, taking us all to church. I've told you the stories. When she was seeing us living in sin, she was like, that stuff will take you to hell. I'm just saying. That's my grandma, right? She was fighting for us. But we didn't have this great and amazing spiritual heritage, so there's more dysfunction in my family. Hello? Just saying. And so what happens is this doesn't, this, this reality of this tension, this dysfunction, can I tell you where else this happens? It also happens in church family. It also happens in church family. Yeah, that person next to you, that's your family, but sometimes, I'm just saying. Maybe, and maybe not the person next to you. I mean, I don't know. You may not know. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, so for some of y'all, yeah, for sure, glory to God. But here's the thing. I always, I always say this, right? I say this. We would not need to bear with one another in love if it was just easy to love everyone. Seriously. You, you don't have to bear with someone. I mean, if, if, if it's just easy to love. It's all good, right? And so there is this situation that happens in families. And can I tell you something? When you look at the book of Ephesians, it was happening back then as well. There was some dysfunction that was going on. There was some tension that was there. And it was between, it was between two groups of people. And those two groups of people were the circumcised and the uncircumcised, or the Jews and the Gentiles. 
And those two groups there, you have to realize that those two groups didn't just come out of thin air. Those two groups were established way, 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 way back when, when Abraham had an encounter with God and God told him that he wanted him to do something that was called circumcision. And what, he did, and what he did was he told this man, he said, listen, I want to make a covenant with you, and I want to make a distinction between you and your people and the rest of the world. Hear me. Now, what we have to get is that that tension continued on because now Abraham, who was humbled by the grace of God, Abraham, who realized some awesome stuff that God was doing in his life, he was part of this covenant. But there was this tension that was going on, and most writers in the book of Ephesians, of, of, or commentators, should I say, of the book of Ephesians, what they understand or what they think is that the reason why Paul brings this up is because he was dealing with a tension that was going on in the church. He was dealing with one group of people who thought that they were better than the other group, or there was a situation that was going on. And so this tension within the family that was occurring, he never said both of these groups didn't love Jesus. He didn't say that. He didn't say anything that would make you think that one group was not a believer or the other one was. What he did was he said that there was, you guys were this. He goes on and he starts to talk to them about who they were. And the reason why there is this tension, church, is because of something called a sinful nature. Because of our sinful nature is why we'll let each other down. It is why we will experience these dysfunctions. It's because of this sinful nature that we have and that we battle against every day of our life. And that's the reason why we need to allow the Spirit of God to continue to mold our heart so that way we become more like Jesus and less like our old man. Hello. And so we come to this point where the apostle is talking to them. What he does is he points out five things that all Gentiles, say all Gentiles, have in common. Five things that all Gentiles have in common. Now, I want you to get this for a moment, okay, because I, want, I, I need you to see this. A Gentile is someone who is a pagan. Are you hearing me? It is a person who worships, and, and according to that definition, it is a person who worships false deities, a person who worships false gods. It was a person who was, and we'll see here, who was without God, who was without the promises, who was without the covenants of God. And so that is what Paul is saying, that you once were this. You were Gentiles according to the flesh. Now understand this. What made someone a Gentile was not the external act of circumcision, which is what became the big deal. It was like, you know, and... and I don't, I don't want to be crude, so I won't point it out like this, but it was almost like, hey, man, if you're circumcised, you're in. If you're not circumcised, you're out. It was that kind of mindset. And so what happened is these people were called Gentiles. Those were the people who were outside of the covenants of God. And so anyone who was not born of, of, of Israelite blood, anyone who's not born of that, you are a Gentile. So if you're sitting in this place, right, by the flesh, by your birth, you are born as a Gentile. Now, if you are Jewish, you have Jewish in your bloodline, and you know that is in you Hebrew. If that's in your bloodline, then glory to God. Then you're not a Gentile. Amen. But he gives us five things that all Gentiles have in common. The first one, he goes on, read this together. He says there, he says uh, in verse 12, he says that at that time, say at that time, he's talking about before Jesus, he says you were without Christ, say without Christ. So the first thing he says, they were without Christ. What does he mean when he says they were without Christ? Because everyone is without Christ in the saving sense before they put faith in him. Can we all agree on that? 
And so what happens is, no matter what you were, no matter what family you're born into, no matter how much church you attend, no matter any of those things, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you're without Christ in the saving sense. But how is it that he is making this distinction, saying that these people, the Gentiles, were without Christ, as though he was saying that the Jewish people were with Christ? And the reason is this: it is because they were without Christ in the connection that Jesus was going to come through who? He was going to come through the Jewish bloodline. Are you hearing me? And so they were without Christ because they weren't part of that bloodline. So they were without Christ in that sense. That's the first thing that all Gentiles have in common. The second thing is, he says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And so the second thing is they were aliens from the commonwealth. That commonwealth can also mean citizenship. And what they were, they, what they were not part of was the theocratic government of God. And why is this important? Because what happens is Israel was God's people. Before Israel had, had any king, who was their king? God Almighty himself. Right? Remember when Samuel, he's asking them, you know, the people are asking Samuel for a king, and God tells them, listen, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. God was their king, so that's where we get theocracy, theo, God, right, and God rule, right, God government. And so this theocratic rule, they were, they were not part of that. They were aliens or they were strangers to this commonwealth. They, were, they didn't know that. And so what happens is the rule is what brings forth the revelation of God. See, there was a distinction between the people of God, meaning Israel. There was a distinction between them and all of the rest of the nations. They were alien to that. They were, they were not part of that commonwealth. The third thing that he says here, he says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And then the next one is, strangers from the covenants of promises. So they were strangers or foreigners to the covenants of promise. Now, he's not talking about the Mosaic law because the Mosaic law wasn't necessarily filled with promises. He is talking about what promise? The most important promise, the coming Messiah. He's talking about this. And so they were, one, separated from Christ. Two, aliens from the commonwealth of, in, of Israel. Three, they were foreigners or they were, or they were strangers to the covenants of promise. And then he goes on and he says, having no hope. Say, having no hope. So the fourth thing that we see is that they were without hope. And when he says that they're without hope, he is not just saying that they were without hope like because they didn't know about the Savior. They were really without hope because they had no way to come to know God apart from God's mercy. So they are without hope. And then the last thing that is very important is this. And he says, and without God in the world, say without God in the world. The reason why this becomes so important, that's self-explanatory. It is saying that they did not have God. Why does this matter to us so much? Well, A, it's a reminder of what? It's a reminder of what we all were like. All of us were like this at some point if we are not born into a Jewish family, if we're not born into Israel blood, if we're not born into that, so we are all in this condition. But can I tell you why this is even more important for us? It is even more important for us because there are people who are out there in the world who believe they have God. And maybe some of you in here that you have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and you think you have God, but the reality is you are without God. And so you, and what was happening in, the, in those particular times with these Gentiles, these pagans, they were worshiping what? They were worshiping all kinds of God except the real God. They were worshiping all kinds of deities except the real God, the one true God, and so they were without God. And so the apostle Paul reminds them. He goes through all of this to get them to verse 13. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, but now, say, but now. 
In Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood that, that I was far off. Why was I far off? I was far off because I was separated from Christ. I was far off because I was an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. I was far off because I was a foreigner to the covenants of promise. I was far off because I was a person who was without hope. I was far off because I was without God in the world no matter how I felt. I was far off, but Jesus brings me near. The Apostle Paul reminds the Ephesian Gentiles of their before Christ condition only to amplify the amazing grace of God and in reality remind them of their present position. See, as believers, church, we must rejoice that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, recognizing and remembering that holy blood was shed for us. We can wholeheartedly trust in the power of Jesus as the source of our unlimited, unhindered, and unchanging access to the throne room of grace. We have this access to God Almighty because of what? Because of Jesus. It's not because of where we were born. Are you hearing this? This is what he's saying. Paul is dealing with the family feud. Paul, Paul is dealing with issues that are all in the family. He's dealing with problems that are going on where people are like, well, man, I was born of this tribe, and I was born here, and I'm part of this, and so I'm better than. No, 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 there's no one better than. There's only one that is great, and that is God Almighty, and he makes us all equal. That's what he does. He brings us all near by the precious and holy blood of Jesus. The second thing here, please repeat after me. Say, Jesus work. On the cross makes us one family. Jesus' work on the cross makes us one family. Let's read verses 14 to verse 18, and then we'll break them down. For he himself, say he himself. You know, as, as we're reading this, I want you to notice how many times within these verses you're going to see references to Jesus. This, when I was sitting down, I was meditating, preparing this message. In this particular part, I sat there and literally I was like, my God, that is so absolutely humbling and amazing that you are making it so abundantly clear to end the family feud. This is your work. It is what you have done. It is all about Christ. In church, we can forget that easily. We get our mind wrapped up in other things or we start thinking it's about other stuff. It is really and truly and for sure all about and will always be all about Jesus. It will be all about his amazing work. And so he says there, he says, For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man that from the two thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Look at that. That's amazing there. It wasn't just to the ones who were far off, but the ones who were near. They needed to hear the gospel as well. For through him... We both have access by one spirit to the Father. You should have counted six there. 
Six references that are talking about Jesus within these verses. That what Jesus has done is what really matters and what we need to be overwhelmed by this amazing work. And so as I was talking about Abraham a little bit earlier, in Abraham, God made a clear distinction between his people and the rest of humanity. With the sole purpose of setting apart a bloodline, understand this, through which the promised seed, you can write this scripture down, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. We went through the book of Galatians, but when we dealt with that particular chapter, we talked about that scripture, which deals with what? Is that God didn't promise seeds, but he made a promise to a seed being singular. Jesus is that seed. And so why did God make the distinction? Because God was showing us how amazingly powerful he is when you read the bloodline and genealogy of Jesus and you see what it took in order to get Jesus to the place that he was. You see how amazing, how sovereign, and how powerful Almighty God is. And what he does is in the past, he goes and he, and he establishes this bloodline and he says, listen, this is where the Savior is going to come through. Sadly, here is the problem. The distinction became a source of animosity due to pride. Because what happened was, now you had the people who were the Jewish people at that time, they were boasting about their, their heritage rather than being humbled that they were chosen as a bloodline. This happens to us as Christians. And can I tell you something? The reality is this, is that God's blessing upon our lives will always produce one of two things, either pride or humility produces one or the other. It either produces pride in our hearts where we, A, don't even acknowledge God. We just think that we're so amazing and that's it. Or, B, we start to think, you know, so much of ourselves even while we acknowledge God, but we start to be prideful and we start to look at other people, you know, down our nose. Hello. We start to see people differently. And so, or the other one is humility. You are humbled. You realize all source of blessing is Jesus. Everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that, 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 I, that I will ever be is all for his glory and his praise, and it's only because of his grace. We realize this, but these people were not, and so they make this distinction, and then what happens is they start to have these problems within the family, be, 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 between the people that are part of the family of God. And so what did Jesus come to do? Jesus came, and look what he says. He says, for he himself, in verse 14, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, is our peace. I want to point something out to you, and it is that Jesus came to become, not just to give or to offer, but to be our peace peace. He didn't just come to say, okay, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to leave them with peace. No, he comes as our peace. The way that it's written within the Greek is literally the weight of the peace is upon him. That if Jesus is not there, if Jesus is not active, we don't have peace. So, you know, the bumper sticker, no Jesus, no peace. Hello. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have peace. I'm just saying. You, don't, you, don't, you, can, you can know about peace, but you don't have peace because he is the prince of peace. And so Jesus comes in order to do what? He himself is our peace. And so while there are these two groups of people that are in tension and there's issues that are there, Jesus comes to bring peace between them. And so now it's all about him in the center of them who has made both one. He makes us one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And so the middle wall of separation is an, is an illusion or looking to the, you know, the temple. In those days, there was a wall of separation that separated the Gentile court, which meant it's the place where Gentiles could go. They couldn't go past that, 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 that partition that was there. And so what Paul is alluding to or he's pointing to is he's saying, listen, this middle wall of separation that you guys know about, about it's not there anymore 
It doesn't exist. We made, we, we, Jesus came to become our peace. And he goes on to say in verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And so Jesus comes and abolishes. Now, now think about this word abolish. What it means, it means to render inoperative. And, and Jesus comes, and when he dies on the cross, there was this enmity. There was this separation. There was this antagonism that was there between Jews and Gentiles. There was this thing that kept them apart. And what Jesus does is he comes, and in his flesh, he deals with that enmity. He deals with that separation. In his flesh, he does what? He makes it inoperative. And what does he do? He says it here, what he's talking about. He makes clear what becomes inoperative. He says, the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And so what Jesus does is when he dies on the cross for us, he makes the law inoperative against our life because of his blood that satisfies the wrath of God. Because of his perfection that does what? It satisfied the ordinances. He lived the perfect life. He was holy. Now, does that mean that I should not live holy? The devil is a liar. What that means is that no longer is this law against my life holding me in bondage or separating me from my brothers and sisters or separating me from God. But what happens is Jesus dies because all men, we talked about it, have a sin problem. All men have a death problem. There's this enmity that is there, but Jesus comes and dies in our place and he makes the law of God inoperative against our lives. <laughs> Giving us opportunity to have what? To have relationship with God Almighty. Giving us opportunity to have relationship with the king of the universe, with the creator of the universe, because of what he does in his body. He says, and he go, he says so as to create in himself one new man. Say, one new man. From the two, thus making peace. You don't have to say that part there. One new man from the two, thus making peace. So what does he do? He makes peace between Jew and Gentile. Peace in such a way, it's a peace that only he can make. Because what he literally does is he takes Jew, he takes Gentile, he makes them one. You know what he calls them? Christians. Are you hearing me? Now, mind you, I know someone's going to be like, well, they didn't, it was a word of derision. I understand all that, okay? What I'm saying is today we go by the name of Christians or Christ followers. If you want to say he makes them one, we'll call them this because this is what the Bible says. He makes them believers, people who have put faith in Jesus. And so when he says that he makes one new man, he's not talking about new in time. He's talking about new in quality. He makes something that is totally new. I've told this story before, and it's one of the stories, and I have to tell you that when I tell this story every time, I still can't even remember how this all occurred in my, in my daughter's mind. But when she was younger, I remember one day someone was telling her that she was Puerto Rican. And she was like, I'm not Puerto Rican, I'm Christian. <laughs> now, listen, I, 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 I can, I, all I can tell you is this. This is what I am guilty of. I never pushed a Puerto Rican envelope, like, yo, I'm Puerto Rican, what, what? And I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm just not that guy. You know, even when I was, you know, younger and, you know, got my first low rider and all that kind of stuff like that, I didn't have anything hanging there, you know, saying I was Puerto Rican. None of that stuff. I was a Christian, man. That's what I understood. But I don't remember telling my daughter, hey, baby, we are Christian, and that's all that we are. I don't remember ever telling her. She might have learned that in children's church. I'm just saying. But the point is she was arguing because she understood her identification as what? Christian. Now listen, you know, the Bible talks about out of the mouth of babes, right, praise is perfected, right? I'm just saying. And so what about if we as Christians thought that way? 
that before I am A, B, C, or D, I'm a Christian. That before I'm anything, I'm a Christian. Well, let me tell you something. That's the mindset and that is the heart that we are supposed to have. That before I have allegiance to any other flag, to any other cause, to any other party, to anything, my first and foremost allegiance is to who? It is to the one who took two and made one. He made this new man. He destroyed that enmity. And so we find that what Jesus does, he destroys the wall of separation, making one new man. He reconciled us back. Go on in verse 16. And it says this, and that he might reconcile. Say reconcile. You don't have to repeat anymore. That he might reconcile them both to God. Now, they both needed reconciliation. Right? When we talk about the word reconciliation, it means to return someone to a former state. And so where is that former state? You know where the former state is found? It's found in the Garden of Eden, where man was in unhindered, uninhibited communion with God Almighty. He had relationship with him, and he was there in that place. And what God wants to do is do what? He wants to remove the barriers. He wants to remove whatever it is that is keeping us from intimacy with him. And the way that he does that is by coming and dying in our place. And he reconciles us both unto him in one body through what? Through the cross. Glory to God. Thereby putting to death the enmity. Now listen, the first enmity was enmity between man. The second enmity is the enmity between God and man. Because God wants us to have horizontal um, reconciliation as well as vertical reconciliation. He wants us to walk as family the way that we're supposed to. And it goes on, it says in verse 17, it says this. It says, and he preached, came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. And so Jesus, while he was on earth, you know he preached the gospel, even though he is the gospel. Amen? He preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. And then when it says, talking about Gentiles, you remember he preached the gospel to a Samaritan woman, right? And so that shows us that he preached the gospel not only to Jewish people, but he preached them in those days. They were called Samaritans half-breeds. Hello. And so he preached them. Go read the story in John chapter 4, and you'll see she was like, how do you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan? Because there was that tension that was there, and that tension flowed over into the church. But God goes on ahead and says that he preached peace. And so he preached peace to who? He preached peace to us who were Gentiles, who were without God, who were without peace, who, I mean, without hope. He preached, he preached to us this peace, but then he also preached to those who were like near. Are you hearing me? So like there's a group of people, like we are like way far out there. We are just crazy, right? And then there is another group that they're very religious, they are right there. They have the covenant promises because what happened was Israel was looking forward to the Messiah. And so as he's looking for, as they're looking forward to the Messiah, they are near. Near doesn't mean that they're there. Hello. Near doesn't mean. What it means is that they had an understanding of the coming Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Christos, which is the word there for Christ in the Greek, which talks about his messianic title as the Savior. They were looking for the Messiah. Everyone had to hear the message of the gospel. Everyone had to respond. There was no one, well, you know what, they're just better than us, and so they're good to go. They don't get a pass. Jesus is the way. There is no pass. Hello. And so we come to faith through Jesus. And so Jesus' work on the cross, it rectifies earthly relationships. And I love this here because look at verse 18. It says, for through him, say through him. We both have access by one spirit, say one spirit. To the Father, say the Father. 
Now, you should highlight that as a pointing in your scriptures to this, 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 um, this doctrine called the Trinity. Because what you have here is you have a picture, again, and it's all throughout your scriptures. I'm just pointing out one of them to you because we're in the book of Ephesians. But it says what? That we have access through him who is Jesus the Son. And it is by what? It is by the Spirit. That is the Spirit of God. And it is to who? It is to the Father. That's Father God. And so we see God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are all active in what? In our reconciliation. And so God rectifies these relationships, earthly and heavenly, bringing us into fellowship with one another, equally dependent upon the cross, whether we are far or whether we are near, we have access to the Father by the Spirit through Jesus as God's family. Now, I just want to give you one definition here. I mean, I've given you a few, but I want this one is a little bit lengthy. And what it is, it is the definition of the word access. When it says in the New King James Version, it says, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father, that word access, it means that relationship with God whereby we are acceptable to him and have assurance that he is favorably disposed toward us. And another part of the definition is a right to speak. So what God is saying is that when he gives us access to him, we don't come to God with a negative type of fear. We come to God with a positive type of fear. I didn't know there was a positive type of fear. The positive type of fear, which is what the Bible talks about, and you see this in the, Old, in the Old Testament. If you remember, you just think back when Moses was leading the children of Israel and they were about to come up to Mount Sinai and there was thunders and there was lightning and there was quaking of the earth. It was, a, it was an amazing, overwhelming sensation and revelation of who God was. And the Bible says that they were like, no, we don't want to run away. And Moses was like, man, don't fear God the wrong way. Fear him the right way. And so there's negative fear and there's positive fear. There's the fear that makes you run, and there's the fear that makes you submit and surrender. You see, there's the fear that says, man, I can't, I'm not holy enough for God. Listen, no one is holy enough for God. That's the reason why Jesus died, amen? And so the reality is, is that none of us are holy enough for God, but by his grace, we become more and more like him as he deals with our hearts and as we surrender more and more into his presence. But God gives us access to him, that he is favorable towards us and that we have a right to speak, that we are able to speak in the presence of the king. We are able to talk to him. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God is presently... Uniting his family for his dwelling place. God is presently uniting his family for his dwelling place. Let's read verses 19 to verse 22. And it says, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Remember he started off the chapter talking about we were strangers, right? We're foreigners. We're, we're, we're outcast. And he says, now therefore. Why? Because he's pointing out what Jesus has done. He's saying, now, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, because of what the Spirit of God has done, because of what the Father has orchestrated, now, therefore, because of the bloodied cross, now, therefore, because of Jesus, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Say, household of God. That word household, it means someone who is belonging to a family, someone who is belonging. And, and this is where we get the understanding that God didn't just redeem us to himself, but he redeemed us to one another as well. 
He didn't just reconcile us to a relationship with him, but he saved us, and that way we would be able to be in relationship with one another so we would be able to be his family. We are part of the household of God together. And he goes on and he says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The result of Jesus' work of redemption on the cross is that those who were strangers and foreigners are now fellow citizens and members of the household of God. The result is that we are now no longer strangers, but we are brought near to Christ. We're brought, we're brought near to God, and we are given this covenant relationship. Remember what we talked about when we dealt with earlier in, cha- in, in chapter 1, where we talked, or, or in chapter 2, that we are in verse 10, where it says that we are his workmanship. Say workmanship. We have to remember that we are God's workmanship and what this is doing here. This is fleshing out for us or helping us to see actually what it means to be God's workmanship. It is not solely that God is working on me as an individual, but he is building us and unifying us together so he can do great and glorious works in the earth through his people. He is building a body. He is building his family. He is building the church according to his will. And so we are that dwelling place. We are that temple. And it doesn't mean, and I want you to hear this, it doesn't mean that we have to be in the same building in order for us to be that temple. Are you hearing me? See, because if that was the case, then we would have a real big problem. You know why? Because there are at least, and I told you this before, there are at least over, there, there are over 30 churches in Oviedo alone. Hello. And so what that would mean is that we can't all have God's presence. Well, was, God pre- was God's presence here today when we were worshiping? I'm just saying. God's spirit was here. And can I promise you something else? There were other places where God's spirit was. Why do I know this? Well, the Bible says that when two or more gather together in his name, he is there in the midst of them. So what that means is just because someone is of a different denominational per- persuasion or they're part of a different church that believe the same fundamentals of faith, hello, I'm not telling you that the Latter-day Saints over there, that they were having the same experience. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about people who believe the fundamentals of Scripture, who believe the truth of the Bible. Those people who embrace those things, they were experiencing the presence of God. That's why you'll be in your room praying and experiencing God's presence while you're praying for your brother or your sister. And then they're being ministered to at the same time that you're praying and ministering to them. Why? Because God is building this dwelling place. He said in the Spirit. He didn't say in the building. He said in the Spirit. That's why we have to be together in one spirit, in one mind in one accord and the beauty of it is is that when we are in the spirit and we are seeking God individually when we come together we see the overflow of his presence we see the overflow of his glory because what he's just showing us that he's dwelling among us that he's moving amongst his people and so it's important for us that we understand there is a real need for us to gather together but can I say this don't let your only time that you are being spiritual when you walk into the church you should be walking in the spirit every moment of every day of your life and repenting for the moments that you are not and then you should be dwelling in the presence of God being the dwelling place of God so that when you come together you You are able to contribute to the body of Christ. You're able to minister the way that God wants you to minister. And so here's the thing. Jesus is building that temple. And it says there, it says that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. 
And so here's the thing. There are, two, there, there are two different positions on what that means as far as Jesus being the chief cornerstone. The one is that he's the foundational piece, which I believe that that in this context would be correct. He's the foundational pillar. He's the cornerstone that, every, that sets the tone for every other stone that is there, right? I believe that that's what the, that's what the text would communicate. But there's another application, and is that he could be the capstone, right? And the capstone is the final stone that holds it all together. And can I tell you something? Jesus is both. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the one that sets the tone, the one upon whom we stand, but he is also the capstone into whom we are growing. Hello. He is the one that we are growing into, and so Jesus is all above and beneath. Hello. He is the one that holds it all together. It is all about him, and so he makes this abundantly clear, and so hear this. Write this down. Think about this statement. Where God dwells, God draws. Where God dwells, God draws. Wherever God is, he draws people to himself. Wherever God is dwelling, people will be drawn. There will be people that will run away for sure. There will be people who don't want anything to do with it. But where God dwells, he draws. He draws us into his presence. But he doesn't just draw us. Hear me when I say this. Our growth as his dwelling place is not simply in our personal maturity but it also should be in our collective quantity. What I'm saying is, is that one of the natural outworkings of a life of worship is a life of witness. One of the natural outworkings of a life of worship is a life of witness. And see, God doesn't just want us to become spiritually, you know, mature and then go from being spiritually mature to become spiritually obese. Hello? We got a lot of those Christians, right? They're obese. You know where your obesity goes as a Christian when you get obese? It goes right to your head. Hello, somebody. I'm just saying. The Bible says what? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And so what happens is we want to be people that are for sure growing in maturity, but we should also be growing in our witness to the world. We should be growing in the reaching of those who do not know Jesus. And so look, as I'm closing here, this is what I want you to get, is that God is growing his family inwardly and outwardly, and he invites all of us to be part of it. He is growing his family inwardly. He is growing us as mature believers, and he wants us to grow in the faith and the knowledge and the grace of who Jesus Christ. He wants us to grow in that, but he also wants us to do what? He wants us to extend his love, to extend his gospel, to extend his truth to all of those who do not know him. And so here's my, here, here, here are my closing questions for you. I have a few of them. The first question, which to me is the most important, is are you part of the family? Are you part of the family? Have you trusted Jesus as Lord of your life? Have you trusted, have you recognized your need for Jesus? And not just recognized it, but made a commitment to him, to follow him. Have you received his gift of salvation? Have you done that? It's not just about a prayer that you pray. It is about a life that you will live from that moment on. So listen, if you say, yeah, I believe all the things that the Bible says about Jesus, but your life doesn't look like it, then I want to let you know you are not part of the family, but God extends you an invitation today. He offers you an invitation to become part of his family. The second question is, if you are part of the family, are you doing your part in the family? 
So if you're part of the family, are you doing your part in the family? Are you doing what it is that God has called you to do? Are you striving to do that? Are you growing in that area? Are you contributing the way that God has called you to contribute? That's the, those are really important questions for us. Are you reaching those people that need to be reached with the gospel? Are you living a life that shines brightly for Christ, or are you like a lamp that puts a lampshade over it? You're like that undercover Christian, you know what I'm saying? You got a little bit of light, enough light for you, but you don't want to blind anyone else. Listen. It's okay to blind some folks because when they wake, oh, my goodness, you know, it's blinding. It doesn't mean that you have to be a jerk, hello. It doesn't mean you have to be insensitive, you know, just like shining people, you know, you know, like, you know, you, you ever been like in a room and someone has one of those little lasers and they're like in your eye and you're like, man, what, what's going on? Like, God don't want you to be like that, hello, pointing out every little sin that people do. That's not, that's not cool. Are you hearing me? That's not what I mean by shining brightly. That means that you really live your life for the glory of Jesus. When people come around you, they have no choice but to know that you glorify God, not because you are condemning them, but because you are glorifying and honoring and worshiping him. Are you doing your part as part of the body? And the third question I would ask you is this, is what part of you doesn't fit in the family? First of all, are you part of the family? Second of all, are you doing your part in the family? And third of all, what part of you doesn't fit in the family? Trust me when I tell you, there's a part of you that doesn't fit. You fit, that doesn't. Are you hearing me? You fit, but that attitude, uh-uh. You fit, but that belief system, mm-mm. You fit, but that mouth, mm-mm, glory to God. You fit, but those habits got to go. You fit. You see what I'm saying? So what is it that what part of you doesn't fit within the body? Is there something that you like hide that you don't let anybody else see? Maybe it's, you need to stop hiding that and start repenting of that and start trusting God to deal with that. God wants us to walk together. My closing question is this for you. Who is God calling to be part of his family among the people you know and how are you actively and intentionally pursuing opportunities to bring them into the family? That was a long two-part question. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> Who is God calling to be part of his family? Oh, Bishop, I don't know that. Look around. Hello. <laughs> Glory to God. If you are sitting around, I mean, you, you work in places where there are tons of people that don't know Jesus. Man, just choose one. I'm just saying, you pick one. Don't, don't, don't be over-spiritual like, God, show me who you have chosen. I'm just saying. You ain't got to do all that right there. You just pick one. God, I'm going to start praying for this person. I, you don't, listen, just pray. Just be like, God, just save them. You, you see their situation. Know this. If God puts you in their life, he puts you in their life to be a witness. So who is it that God is calling to be a part of his family among the people you know? And this is the most important part of the question. How are you actively and intentionally pursuing opportunities to bring them into the family? It could simply be taking them to lunch, having a conversation with them. It can be inviting them over to your house. It can be doing, I mean, there's a ton of different things that I could say. It could be going to work out with them. It could be doing so many different things that are intentional opportunities for you to be a witness to their life. The question is, what are we doing? Are we being sensitive to the Spirit of God as he builds his church and allowing him to build through us?
Stand to your feet with me, please. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, please. I ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to just meditate on the Lord. Think about what it is that the Spirit of God spoke to you today. Think about what it is.